0: Welcome to the Chicana Motherwork podcast. We hope you enjoy our show.
1: We are a collective of Chicana PhD mother scholars, artists, and activists. We created Chicana Motherwork to amplify the lived experiences of mothers of color within and outside academia. Together, as the Chicana Motherwork Collective, we theorize, write, organize, mother, and create spaces for communal healing and care out of our shared belief that the labor of mothering is a transformative act. Porque sin madres no hay revolución.
2: Welcome everybody, welcome back. I know you missed us, we missed you too. This is Christine Vega from Chicano Motherwork. We're happy to be back on the air Um, reporting from UC Santa Bárbara. We have most of the collective here, 90% of the collective, Cecilia Judy, Yvette, myself, and we have a special guest, which we'll, it will, we will introduce in a little bit. Um, so we want to start with the podcast with some gratitude. We want to express thanks amongst each other. Um, first of all, thank you to the, the land of the people who we stand on. We're you know in sacred land, indigenous land here. And we also wanna say thank you to each other. It's been a tremendous ride. It's been a great ride. Things are moving forward and it's really beautiful um, to be by the ocean and just kind of remind ourselves that we have a lot of work, but we, have a, we can also, we're, I think learning self-care, we're also gonna take care of ourselves as we're doing the intensive work today and the next few days. Um, so we wanna start with some end of the semester, quarter, end of term, um, check-ins. We haven't checked in with you all for a couple of months and we want to just let y'all know where we're at and just let you know that we're in solidarity with whatever things people are wrapping up with. Um, Michelle Tellez will be doing this dedication of this podcast to a very special person in our community that we've lost.
1: So this podcast is dedicated to Cindy Whitmore, uh, a Phoenix-based activist, ally, single mama of four, who was killed while riding her bike to work the morning of April 26, 2017. Um, Her loss, the loss of Cindy came as a big shock to me and for many uh, of us who have known her in the work that she does and has done. I love what she wrote on her Facebook uh, page when she describes herself. She wrote, Coyote, superstar, squirrel wrangler, goddess walking, a force to be reckoned with, a badass motherfucker. (laughs) So that just shows her spunk, her spirit. Um, She fought for the rights and dignity of the most vulnerable, especially migrants, for racial justice for community empowerment and economic equity, and for a woman's right to self-determination. She was involved in many organizations in the Phoenix area. And so we dedicate this episode to her, to her four children, uh, and to her beautiful energy that now guides us. Thank you.
3: Okay, I'll do my check-in. Hi, everybody. This is Yvette Martinez Vu. We're um, recording here from my office at UCSB. Um, end of term for us um, it's technically not the end yet we are a week away from the end of the quarter we are at the end of dead week going into finals week you can feel the the stress in the air our students are really focused they're here actually staying in our building we're feeding them snacks we're feeding them all kinds of goodies so that they have the fuel to be able to do well next week for us um, it's been it's been a whirlwind right now. Um, it's been really busy at work. It's been really busy for Chicana mother work. We're working on our anthology, reviewing submissions. Um, my son and I are actually learning how to swim right now. I never actually learned how to swim, and I've had a big fear of the water. So I decided if he's going to learn and he's going to be brave, then his mama has to be brave too. So that's, um, that's a big um, goal of mine is to kind of by the end of the summer to feel comfortable swimming. And then my, my partner just found out that he got into a master's program here on campus. So I'm really proud of him. So it's it's a time, it's a very busy time, but there's a lot of um, change and a lot of hope, and we're trying to stay grounded right now and not get too overwhelmed with the rush of the end of the quarter.
4: Hi everyone, this is Judy. Um, I've been long done with semesters, <laughs> but as, as far as semesters with my, my daughter, um, I'm excited about not having to do the 30-minute drive and coming back, because that was a waste for me driving. Um, but it's been nice, and now I get to hang out with all three of them. They're at home all day. Um, so I have to make breakfast for all of them. It's crazy, but it's also fun um, to do that. So I've been I've been trying to take advantage of a lot of, there's a lot of free resources at my city. Um, so we've been doing the swimming. Um, we've been trying to go to the library, and they have a lot of really cool activities. I was Trying to look up a summer program, but they're really expensive. <laughs> but actually, Ontario does scholarships for 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 students for the summer program, so that was really really cool. Um, so yeah, that's that's this is this actually the semester is where I'm officially my diploma got here. So I was super excited. Yes, it only took a hundred years to get that, but I got it. <laughs> um, so now it's official. Um, and it's also official that I need to get a job. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm working on this summer, trying to really apply, but it's hard with three kids, but we gotta do it.
0: This is Ceci. So um, my check-in is, um, yeah, lots been going on. So similar to Judy, my son Aloncito just finished his, uh, his year. at So he's officially done with first grade. And that was pretty exciting. So he just finished uh, school yesterday, Friday, um, and we're recording on a Saturday. So it's officially the start of his summer. And also, like Judy, what that means for me is, you know, I'm not able to afford, like, a full-time child care program or anything like that, which is – and then on top of that, you know, it, for PhD students, a lot of us, some of us have summer funding, but a lot of us don't, including you know student parents or other mothers of color uh, scholars. And um, so financially, the summers can is typically very difficult for um, student parents. Um, and I am working um, one day a week with uh, the Gateway Scholars at USC, and the Gateway Scholars is a program similar to the McNair program. So I'm excited to work with um, the students of color and the women of color and their research projects, and um, I worked with them in their spring seminar as a TA, and so I'm continuing my work with them in the summer, and um, it's been um, a great experience. And I, so I am grateful for at least that little bit of income, <laughs> but other than that, I don't have uh, enough income for the summer. But you know, we gotta hustle. It's kind of what we do, um, and. Um, I'm also navigating some like mental health kinds of things. So I know in our last podcast, um, our guest, Ana Castillo talked about the importance of like, um, treating like depression or it's like, okay to have depression or other mental illnesses, especially as, um, you know, low income women of color mothers. So, um, so and but it's still a process to like n- even navigate this whole you know healthcare kind of system. But I, at least I do have access to health funding, um, healthcare through my school, so um, I am grateful for that. And um, and like everybody else, I'm also excited to. Um, we just went through and confirmed the receipt of our submissions for the Chicana Motherwork uh, anthology. So that's what we're working on this weekend. And um, I'm really excited to um, you know read all the testimonials and the research and you know this project we've all worked really hard on it, and we see Chigana Mother work. It's not just the five of us, but it's expanding. you know people can engage with it in different ways. and um,
5: we're excited to see where the project will lead. Um, so that's my check-in. Gracias. So, hola, uh, soy Esther, and you'll hear my bio in a minute. Um, so. It's been, uh, May was a very busy month for us because my compañero, he is finishing his first, or he just finished his first year as a tenure track uh, professor. And in the month of May, we both traveled uh, outside of the state. And uh, he had all this end of semester madness to take care of, which meant that um, I'm currently working on my dissertation on ABD. And my uh, my work, kind of fell back because I had to do, like, extra uh, to keep the house afloat. I'm currently staying at home with my two-year-old daughter. And um, n- so now that he's finished, he's th- I finally have a block of time between 5 a.m. or five between 5 and 6 that I get up in the morning until noon that I can just focus on my dissertation and my research and feel so good. I'm uh, moving ahead, doing a lot of things, um, catching up. So I hope to finish all my data gathering this month, and then in the month of July, just start writing, writing, writing. So I'm super excited about that.
3: Thank you, Esther. All right, so... I need to check in. Oh, psh, we do have uh-huh. a check-in. Okay, Christine, Christine. Yes, I know, she didn't want to check in at the beginning, uh-huh. but now she wants to check yeah, in. We'll see, you. okay, please.
2: It's because then I talk a lot after the intro. <laughs> So I'm like, people are like, shut up. Don't agree with me, okay? I don't want to hear it. We love you. Okay. Um, I love y'all too. Um, well, again, this is Christine. Um, I actually took a course this quarter, and I've been ABD for a year. Um, but I took a course in qualitative research methods. It's a series of three Um, So I felt like a student again and it was, it was, it was a love, not hate, love, I don't know what to call it. I love something, um, challenging quarter where I had to read a lot and write a lot and collect. I was forced to collect my data, um, which was a great blessing in disguise. So I was able to interview five badass Chicana mamas on, um, on their experiences in the academy and also, you know, their motherhood. Um, So that was really beautiful and I was, I, I was able to get, uh, amazing femtor to support my you know my my data collection in terms of transcription getting that done so that was really beautiful and i'm in the middle of um, i'm knee deep in the middle of analysis and coding which is a really new a, a really hard new skill i'm developing and i'm really happy i my professora dr ananda marine um an indigenous scholar at ucla um and at the school of education she really pushed me to stay and stick to the course i was uh, i was literally going to drop the class and she's like I think you should do it now. I would like for you to graduate sooner. Um, let's not delay it. I think you have, you have everything you need to push it forward. So I'm really grateful for her because things then were, were falling into place the way I never imagined would it would happen. And so I'm really grateful for her and just her pedagogy is pretty dope. Um, and then I also p- appreciate being in class with students cause I feel like after your ABD or I don't know if it's before, but you're kind of lonely on your own and it was really good to be in, cl- in classes and made, I made new friends. I feel like a little elementary school kid, like <laughs> I have friends again, I'm not alone. And that was really, really awesome to just build with, with, with women of, well, mostly women of color um, to help me push through the next level. Um, and then just kind of like also balancing like, in my health, I've been working out intensely, um, still trying to work through my postpartum body, but more than my strength. And I'm getting there, and I'm really proud of myself, but I still love to eat. like, mm-hmm. Not the best, but I, I don't care. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I balance it off, because I love, I love good food. Don't you say on Instagram, uh, thick fit? Thick fit. Thick fit mm-hmm. or chicana fit. Yeah, thick fit, chicana fit. So I'm really, yeah, thank you, yeah, Ceci. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get skinny, because I'm not skinny. I'm just going to get buff, so watch out for me <laughs> after summer, because... I'm flexing these guns. <laughs> um, so, other than that, you know, a lot of taking care of myself, a lot of my acupuncture and cupping once a week, um, taking magnesium, doing this apple cider vinegar thing. So, I'm like really trying to like figure out what works best for me in order to be afloat and feel balanced. And the craziness, I think I, I posted something on Instagram. It's like the how to be functional and the dysfunction of academia. Um, I'm really trying to push to, to just be healthy. And so, that's my check-in. And
0: then for all of our listeners, um, as uh, if there are other uh, PhD students or faculty listening or undergraduates, um, just a shout-out to the end-of-semester stuff, especially the spring semester, where many of us have found out that um, whether or not we got a job, whether or not we got a fellowship. So there's success, but also uh, disappointment. So shout-out to everyone working hard. You know, it kind of never stops, but again kind of ugly and christine to do that self and community care that you know we're there for each other and you know we're more than our awards so you know but mm-hmm. at the same time as like low income or working class people sometimes it's like we depend um we depend on like those fellowships or the stipends or awards or jobs you know for the phd students who are finishing um but you know we ha- we're here for each other in terms of, like as a community or you know that's what we try to trying to do that community building with each other to um, a way to kind of care for each other
3: in this world of academia. All right, I think now we're gonna transition to introducing our guest. So today we have Esther Diaz-Martin. She is a Mexicana migrante, a Chicana writer, academic, and mother to a precious two-year-old que se llama Guadalupe como sus abuelitas. She is a Jalisciense and a Californiana. Her parents work in agriculture in California's Central Valley. She's one of five siblings and the only one that attended college. She is a doctoral candidate in Department of Spanish and Portuguese at the University of Texas at Austin, but currently resides in Camarillo, California with her compañero and her daughter. She is an IUPLR Mellon Dissertation Fellow for the 2017-2018 academic year and her latest publication titled Contestaciones: The Music of Cyber Osiconas proudly appears in the Spring 2017 issue of Chicana Latina Studies Journal right after the Chicana Motherwork article. Woohoo! <laughs> she is also currently working on writing her dissertation on the topic of Latina feminisms as heard through the voice of contemporary Latina podcasts and radio locutoras. Chicana mamas woo! <laughs> all right Esther I'll pass it on to you <laughs> okay.
5: okay so again first of all thank you muchísimas gracias estoy de verdad bien agradecida con ustedes I'm very grateful to to be here very honored to um, you not only agreed to participate in in for my dissertation uh to, you agreed to be interviewed, but you also asked me to come on and be part of your podcast, which is really taking my research to a different level, and I have to think about it in different ways now that I'm that I'm uh, part of it. Uh-oh. So muchas gracias. You're like this is beyond <laughs> participant observation plus plus. You know, So <laughs> the title of my dissertation. I just want to take a couple of minutes to to break it down before we get into it. So se llama por ahorita Latina Feminisms in Contemporary pol- Contemporary Popular Sound Culture, Language, Voice, and the Politics of Production. So I am listening to mujeres hociconas. I call radio phonic hociconas. So we are uh, respondonas, right? We talk back and uh, locutoras that are on commercial radio. So there are some studies out there that have uh, listened to Community radio, but I'm um, doing what what hasn't been done before, which is community, um, excuse me, commercial radio and uh, digital media. So, including podcast, internet radio, and some YouTubers también, um, and uh, which is something that the uh, the digital part of it just sprung up in the last couple of years. So there, there's a lot going on there. And cualquier mujer uh, latina, uh, mostly the locutoras participating are in California and Texas, but um, for the majority of the part, for, ma- for most of the part, e, um, that they're talking back to patriarchy, to misogyny, to uh, ma- machista, um, cultura machista, so machismo culture. And I use the word Latina feminisms in the plural because I'm recognizing that there's a range of expressions and understanding of uh, uh, what it is to be uh, feminist, or what I consider a feminist expressions, some of my participants, um, the word feminist is a new word for them and has a lot of negative connotations, and they're like, well me dijeron que soy feminista," but. I don't know. Am I? You know, like, and they say it like it's something bad. And then there's on the other end, there are some that are very, you know, radical femme women of colors. They're using all this terminology con un entendimiento bien profundo de chicana feminism and feminism. So I want to recognize um, that range of feminisms, listening to the language and the voice. What is being said? What are the topics being covered? What is being said about them? You know, in terms of gender and women's experiences, and the voice. What does it sound like? Um, not just voice, but other sonic elements. Uh, the voice is loud. Are they soft? Are they... Do, is there cussing? Not, you know, uh, uh, code switching, uh, background noise, todo eso. And then the other part, the politics of production, that's where you all come in, right? Because ustedes uh, son las que tienen la experiencia. I'm not the expert. You are the ones that are going through this experience of uh, coming on the air and uh, being locutoras. And I want to honor your experiences, and not just your experiences, but your interpretations. Porque las mujeres estamos teorizando, right? Siempre. And so I do want to honor those um, experiences and the interpretations as well to go along with my analysis. So, eso es todo lo que tengo, and I'll go on to my questions. So, la primera es, please tell me how the podcast came together. So, who,
2: when, why, cuál es la historia ahí? This is Christine. So I'll start with I. I remember the inception of <laughs> <laughs> of our podcast, and I remember um, it was September. We were in Phoenix, Arizona, staying at the hostel, and we were just kind of really juiced about writing our our article. Like this was the beginning stages of our article. I don't recall if it was 2015 when we started writing our article or 2016. Fifteen was it fifteen? Okay. I remember Judy was like super <laughs> pregnant and she couldn't come. We're like no girl, You're you're going to go into labor. Yeah. <laughs> you're like you're always pregnant, Judy.
5: October 2015. October 2015. In June. Oh. Yeah. 2015? Oh,
0: 2015? oh,
2: yeah. oh 2015. Cute little yeah. baby.
0: Oh, that's, that was a good time.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what these two were doing. It's always good time when you drink, Estas. And so we were, Judy couldn't come. So we were in, in Phoenix, and um we had a writing, like, either one, our first day of writing retreat or second day, Michelle was, we were obviously visiting Michelle Este and writing with her. So I forget, I forget how it happened, necessarily, like, who came up with the idea, But at that point, we were already listening to a podcast um, on iTunes. And we really couldn't, if you search, at least back in 2015, if you search Chicana or Latina, nothing really comes up. Mm -hmm. Um, And the one that did come up where I was listening to, a lot of us were already listening to, so it was kind of getting spread around on Facebook, like, oh, listen to this podcast. You know, it's Mm -hmm. two women of color. So we were listening to it. But for us, I think... Um, we were like it would be really cool if we address the issues of academia it'd be really cool if we address the issues of being you know poor women of color it'd be really cool if we address this this and this so like when we brainstorm like things were like yeah and this and this and th-. like so we're like really we get really excited we're like let's make it happen and so I think between all of us, we're like, we're going to make it happen. And I don't know if the triggers any memory. of Because it was in the nighttime, we were getting into our little bunk beds. ¿Se
3: Ceci and I were so excited. I was already telling her, this is a list of all the podcasts that I'm listening to right now. And then she was already starting to brainstorm all of these ideas. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even have equipment at the time. Like, we didn't we didn't have funding, nada. Mm-hmm. So um, who, who was it that, that brought up the idea of, of going through Radio Sombra?
0: Awesome.
3: Oh. So um, I have a friend who I knew who worked at Radio
0: Sombra, and this is a store located in Boyle Heights, um, Los Angeles. Plaza. Yeah, and it's right by Marichi Plaza. And um, this store they have cultivated a lot of like cultural kinds of you know events, and you know, they host a lot of things. And um, they also so Radio Sombra is housed in uh, the store called Espacio 1839. So if you walk into Espacio 1839, there's a little section that's a little room and then this room they have their podcast project so this is like community based radio and um so my friend who was working there at the time she said oh you guys should do a podcast like she was really interested in the chicana motherware project and was very supportive and she said you know you should think about you could just record here and you know so i live there and it was just accessible it was just one block away where i lived at that time and um so i said okay well they already have the equipment you know And then I went and talked to um, the person who is in charge of the radio and he was super supportive. Um, And then I think we had to work out some scheduling. So the first podcast we had like less than 24 hours to, you know, I think we sent out a poster flyer online on our social media at like 7 p.m. that night or something. And then we recorded the next day, the next afternoon. And um, word really spread. It was pretty exciting. Um, So I don't know if you want to. Well, if it was live though. That was
3: oh, the yeah, difference. Oh uh-huh. like yeah, a, it was live. So, Radio Sombra, we just walk in. They show us like in five minutes. This is how you turn it on. This is how you record. This is how you do it. Okay, now you go do it. <laughs> so, our first recording, we did it everything just on the spot. It went live, and next thing you know, um, we started recording the next couple of episodes in the same way. Um, but that's uh, we we found that it was actually. Um, a little more complicated and a little more challenging for us to keep scheduling with them. So that's when we came up with the idea of let's see if we can fundraise so that we could get our own equipment and have it be more accessible, more, um, uh, what's the word for it, so that you can, more portable. That way we could bring it into our homes and, you know, record in in comfortable spaces for us. So we started a GoFundMe campaign and through the GoFundMe campaign, we actually met our goal and surpassed it. And we were able to buy the equipment, the mics, et cetera. And we've been receiving a lot of help um, from Ceci's partner, Hinato, who's been kind of like our producer. Mm-hmm. He helps edit, he helps us how to set up because none of us have this kind of technical background. And it was when we got that equipment and after that fundraising that we started to publish um, the podcast episodes on SoundCloud, Mm -hmm. and then we then looked into how do we then transport them to iTunes as well. And that's how we came to be where we are now. We're on, I believe this is the sixth episode Mm -hmm. of the relaunch, what we call the relaunch, which is when we started publishing everything through SoundCloud and iTunes. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. And so to make, to kind of like give more context in history, we have, I think four recorded interviews or in podcasts through Radio Sombra, right? Is it four? Mm-hmm. So I think in total we have 10. So we're gonna pull those archives in the future and put those into iTunes so folks can, you know, re-listen re- to those. Mm-hmm. So I, I think because um, we had some really powerful interviews with other 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 collectives and other folks, so we've invited guest speakers. Mm-hmm. So we make it a point to bring other folks who build support our allies or, or, or the new term accomplices to our work. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in reality, we have, like 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 Yvette said, we have six from the relaunch, but we have four from the Radio Sombra archives. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- I'm excited for those to come up. Yeah, so we have like an interview, like
0: when Mothers of Color, the collective Mothers of Color in Academia, the UCLA, which uh, Eva and Christine are also a part of. That was one of, that was like our second episode, I think. And that's when like Mocha we, you know, the, the acronym MOCA, um, that's when it's like, you all first started organizing, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, right at their initial start of their work at organizing work at UCLA. And we, we also had uh, an interview with all three editors of the revolutionary mothering book that had just come out in 2016. So, um, that was really exciting that we were able to get that interview with all three of them. And I'm huge fans of all of those, you know, incredible women. Um, so, you know, we are, We can still access the recordings from Radio Sombra, and then once we have them, we could just upload them to, um, you know, our our uh, platform on SoundCloud and
5: iTunes. Okay. Uh, well, moving on. How does the Latina feminism concept uh, uh, connect to the concept of Chicana mother work in this podcast? Well, how do we understand? Let, let me try to let me help you break it down. So, between Latina and Chicana, what's your understanding of the differences between these two terms, and how you use them, how you understand them, and use them?
3: Okay, so maybe I'll kick, I'll come in and say a few and, thoughts, and, and, and then and tu you, nombre. Mi nombre is Yvette. <laughs> so um, please um, pitch in as you as you think about this. So uh-huh. for me, I kind of echo or I want to echo what Ested was saying earlier about the word feminism, how it's not just feminism, it's feminisms. Mm-hmm. And there are multiple different types of feminisms. So um, just like there is you know, Chicana feminism, there's also Mexicana feminism, there's also L- Latina feminism. And so for us, we, when we first came together as a collective, we were actually going to present about what it's like to be a woman of color in the Academy. Okay. And it wasn't until we got to know each other and how we self-identify, we realize we all self-identify as Chicanas. And by that, we mean a lot of us are first generation in the US. We have um, Mexican immigrant parents. We come from a working class background. And so for us, that was central to our perspective and to our point of view and wanted to be able to share that point of view because someone can be Latina and be from um, you know a South American country, a Central American country, but perhaps they might Um, you know, be from Argentina, from a middle-class background, they might be from, you know, um, Brazil, for instance, you know, from South America, they might not even identify as, quote-unquote, like what people say, Hispanic, Um, because, you know, there's just no correlation there. So for us, we felt uh, more removed from the term Latina because we felt like Chicana was, it fit our identities the most with our experience in the U.S., And so that's why, and then in terms of the the phrase Chicana mother work, we then take that experience and also kind of connect it with our experiences as mothers um, and as mothers of color in the academy because it's one thing to be a mother of color in the academy, it's another thing to then be working class, it's another thing to then have immigrant parents, it's another thing to also be first generation, uh, first generation in the US, first generation in college. Um, So all of those things we, we relate to and which is why we'd rather go with Chicana feminism Mm -hmm. um and feminism by feminism you know we mean um, trying to uplift everybody not just not just women but men as well because we know that patriarchy hurts everybody including men Mm -hmm. and then just to
0: give a little more background to kind of our work as a collective so when we first started working together our first meeting that we had together was in 2014 at the American Studies Association. And, um, and at that time, the panel that was after this meeting is when Chicana mother worked for him. But our initial panel presentation for ASA was, is called, our panel was called Mothers of Color in Academia. And, um, and then as Yvette mentioned, that's when, um, you know, it's when we met in person that we all realized like, oh, we all identify as Chicana, but even in that word Chicana, you know, some of us identify as like Chicana, Indigena, you know, Afro-Chicana. Some of us also use the word like Chicana-Latina, you know, so it's like we have multiple kinds of um, identities, even even though our name only has Chicana in it, like we identify, we have like various identities even within that. And then, um, so another thing, how we engage with like Chicana versus like Latina, um, So another question we get a lot is, oh, is this only for Chicanas? And it's like, our answer is no. Like we, even just because the five of us identify as Chicana doesn't mean it's just solely for people who identify that way. It's for women of color. Um, You know, we also talk about allies, people who do not have children or don't have a caregiving role, but this is also um, for them too. So um, we really um, kind of want to reach a lot of people. And and then I also want to mention so uh, we also engage with black feminism. So that's where the word mother work comes from. And this is from P- uh, black feminist theorist, Patric- Patricia Hill Collins, who first theorized the word motherwork. work. And so in our journal-, journal article for Chicano Latina Studies that was just published, um, I guess we forgot to officially announce that, but oh, our okay. article was just published um, in uh, the Malk's Journal of Chicano Latina Studies. And in there is where we really kind of lay out the theoretical framework that we use. So you know, we also, or I'm, we're also interested in the intersections of chicana and black feminism. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing that I'm also interested in, and um, I hope to kind of do some of this as we continue working on the anthology or the introduction is. Uh, Uh, black feminism, but also um, like Afrofuturism um, and feminism. So these are other kinds of influences like Alexis Pauline Gumbs has written about this and she's one of the editors of uh, Revolutionary Mothering. So we're in conversation with her work too. Um, So we, I think our aim is to um, kind of engage with like a bigger variety of like specifically, you know, Chigana and black feminisms, but women of color feminisms as a whole.
4: Also, I think what's also deeply rooted on um, literature, like Lorena Saldua's, that we talk about um, literature that helped us sort of survive as graduate students as well. And so when we talk about um, Chicana feminists versus Latina as well, you know how they talk about it because a lot of times it's seen as, you know, man hater um, kind of thing. And so we talk about it the way um, a lot of the Chicana literature would, would talk about it's all of us, you know, we could all be feminist and it's not a bad thing and it's we open to it. And so all of that kinda grounds us as well. And that's what brings in the, the Chicana, you know, mother work.
0: And then, just the last thing that I would add is that um, because we do use the gendered term Chicana, but as we say in the article, we also are affirm like you know, some people always also use ChicaneX, LatinX. So you know, we support you know we use that in our article, um, and we support that use or we just use it in our even our everyday language too. Um, and um, and you know, even when we did the call for papers for the anthology, we also made sure to be inclusive of you know all. Pretty much, you know, uh, of different gender identities. So, you know, even though the term Chicana is gendered, you know, with the feminine, we also made sure to include like this call for the anthology was also for like gender nonconforming people, uh, trans women of color, you know, non-binary people. So, um, I think that's another aspect of how we view, you
5: know, Chicana mother work and what the work that we're trying to do. Just a quick thought that we can talk about later. Um, when I follow up with you, I find it very interesting that outside the academic, b- very different definition. Where, um, Yvette, you said that uh, that you mentioned like first generation migrante, right, or migrant, immigrant, and and for la roder that is uh, work, uh, you know, not tied to academia, and is first generation and, and immigrant, they wouldn't call themselves Chicano, and they, they feel that the Chicanos are hostile towards, uh, you know, towards migrantes de primera generación, right? And um, what, th- any thoughts on that? Th- the, uh, is it, can you be first generation and be a, a, a Chicana? What is, a, what is Chicana, right, in terms of uh, uh, migrant experiences and class?
2: I think, um, this is Christine. I think that's a really interesting question because I think, again, how I'm understanding first generation is somebody who was born in the US. Oh, okay. Um, but I could be wrong. Some folks also use zero generation if you migrated from mm-hmm. anywhere to the U.S. So I understand first generation, a first to be born in the in the United States, okay. and then it's also contextualized as first generation to go to school. Mm-hmm. So then it it also like that's the that's the complexity of intersectionality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, in my mind, I'm first generation, both things amongst first generation everything, mm-hmm. as first generation mother scholar, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me. Um, and I'm trying to think about like what you're asking specifically for me. Um, first generation Chicana is my identity of, of, in the, the, um, the histories of the migration stories of my parents, Mm -hmm. I carry them with me every day, every day, everywhere I go. Um, and then also not just the migration stories, but displacement and violence. So for me to identify as a Chicana in this, not necessarily just this political climate, but more importantly in this political climate um, in the US, and specifically in California and Los Angeles, because I think it's about space and, space and place. Um, I know it could be different for others who live in, for for example, Texas. I know you're looking at folks in Texas and um, Arizona, right? But for me in Los Angeles, specifically from the Northeast San Fernando Valley, to be Chicana um, as a first generation student, mother, um, mujer born in the US, daughter of, of, of immigrants um, is really a, a, a very ag- aggressive and fierce stance in my identity politics and how mm-hmm. I came to that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think because I feel I have a responsibility to represent my community very fiercely mm-hmm. and where I come from, it roots me. And it's beyond the academic. It's just, for me, it's a- ancestral. For yeah. me, it's deep. Yeah. For me, it's old and ancient. Mm-hmm. So for me to claim myself as Chicana um, it's really interesting because when I went to Chihuahua, my family's from Chihuahua, most of my family's in Chihuahua from my dad's side. That's where I have most of my cousins. They they tease me for being Chicana, but they also don't fuck with me because mm. they they know that I have an educational privilege that they can't fuck with and they're happy that I wasn't one, and this is really problematic, to have gone a different direction. They don't know the history that I was going towards a different direction but I was also trying to find my way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm really grateful for really important community people in my life, like the folks at Dia Chuchas, like my Danza group, um, like you know my ceremony, my ceremony family. Um, I feel that that identity for me is, for me, right? I speak on my, be- on my own behalf, um, is critical to represent so many different stories, the untold stories. Um, so I, I think it means something different for everybody. So in this mm-hmm. group, mm-hmm. I'm one of, I'm one to say that I identify as a Chicana Indigena and, and, and I still get questioned, but I'm like, what? No, like, I think I've come to the point in my age as an older doctoral student in my program. Um, even my canas, I'm so grateful for my canas cause I think mm-hmm. it really helps me hold it down. <laughs> I, I swear. I'm like, don't, yep. don't play with me. <laughs> <laughs> my canas and my eyeliner, um, help me, um, me. Remind me to to continue holding really tight to my to my identity, and I do also do it for the next generation, for the little Chicanitas and Chicanitos, mm-hmm. and other people of color, not just them, um, to find find themselves reflected in me. So for me, that's what I that's how I see it. And again, it's context. It, it depends on the context, right? Space and place, mm-hmm. above other things. Mm-hmm. Um, for th- that's that's how I define it, and that's what it means to me. And so I should probably pass the mic.
5: And anyone, anything to add? Yeah.
0: And um, I also think of the word gigana because um, for me, I always think of my mom. And you know, I think of um, like for a lot of us, our parents in the collective, our parents didn't have access to um, education. So like my mom has a sixth grade education. You know, from when she was a kid in Michoacan. And um so I know I do have I have had that educational privilege where I was you know going to college going to I think studies Chicana studies department where and this for me was the space it's not the only space where you could learn about you know borderlands you know reading Nada for the first time or taking an intro to you know chicano Latina feminism's class um, because those books are you know you could access them in other ways but. It, but it's, uh, at the, so I do recognize my educational privilege that I was able to access this kind, these kinds of classes and knowledge. Um, and then, so when I think of my mom, like, she knows that I identify as Chicana and, um, I think she kind of, she kind of thinks of it more like a pocha word or like, <laughs> you know, like, um, because no one call I mean, you know, she doesn't, she's like Mexicana, Mexican. So, um, but you know, she supports me and, um, and, you know, even though she doesn't um, have, you know, she didn't have that access to the same type of education that I've had here in the U.S. And, you know, going all the way to, you know, a Ph.D. program. And um, so she doesn't she hasn't read the theories, you know, that I've been able to access, of, you know, but at the same time, she does have that lived experience. And I think, you know, that informs my feminism too, uh, my own Chicana feminism. And then um, the way my mom has modeled her feminism, even though she doesn't. Necessarily, you know, "quote unquote," call it that, right? It's just her—it's her lived experience with which is just as, or even more important, right, than a theory we re- read in a book or something.
4: This is Judy. Um, also, I think in agreement with both um, Christina and Ceci I think that, mean, for me, um, I have younger siblings and one older one. And they still continue to say, you know, Hispanics. And sometimes I check myself, like, no, you don't say that. But it's we. I have access. I'm the only one that went to college. And so for them, they're like, what, you know, what do you call yourself again? You know, you're not Latina. Then no, Chicana. You know, but it's it's having that access. And sometimes it's oftentimes that we have to check ourselves because I know, you know, we went to the same high schools, and they didn't, you know, go into into higher education. And so they didn't have all these books that I know I wouldn't have uh, had access to as well. Because even my friends um, that I went to high school you know um, they still refer to themselves as as Hispanics and so for me how do I you know talk to them or about you know what it means to be a Chicana um, when you know they didn't have that that access um, that I had those opportunities that I had and so it's oftentimes having to remind ourselves of what it means to be Chicana for me it also means um, having access you know sort of uh, with, with which is something a lot of our communities don't have to to professors that are Chicanos you know mm-hmm. to uh, other students that are, are Chicanos and that are that know what I'm talking about what I'm reading about dissertation like what I write about like my family s- still don't know they just say oh que la raza, that sort of thing like they know that that's what I do the work I do mm-hmm. um, and so it's oftentimes we have to check ourselves as well
5: So segueing into the, into the next um, question you talked about, you know, um, uh, talking to your, your children about these things and thinking about, um, you know, talking, thinking about the oral medium. Why a podcast? Uh, what, what is the, this sonic and digital media, this oral media, what does it do and what does it allow you to do as opposed to your writing, as opposed to text-based
3: or even video, video-based uh, media? Um, this is Yvette. I, I want to start. I get really excited when, when she asks me about you know, what's, what's the sonic and digital media sound do for you versus text. Okay. Um, the first thing that comes to mind right away, one of the reasons why we started the podcast was because there's an issue of, access, of accessibility. We acknowledge our educational privilege, the fact that we get to publish, that we get to go to these fancy conferences and present our research. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we feel like this information, this knowledge, should be shared. We should be able to communicate it with our communities. And what better way to do that than through a medium that we believe is more accessible than the text? So that's number one, is why the Sonic, why a podcast, Mm -hmm. is because we believe it's more accessible. Uh, We provide something that for most people is free. If they have a phone, if they have a computer, they have access to a computer or a phone somewhere, they can get access to our podcast. and That's one of the reasons why we transitioned from Radio Sombra um, also to um, the SoundCloud and getting it onto iTunes just to make it more accessible. But then the other thing is there's so much more... um, There's a broader range it's so much more raw to be able to get the sound you get you get intonation Mm -hmm. you get sound you get background noise you get to know people based on um, the differences in their voices Uh, you know there's so much meaning in a pause there's so much meaning in you know if one of us makes a mistake you know we catch each other we (laughs) call each other out Um, I appreciate the rawness of a podcast and of that sound versus something that's much more polished and refined Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. edited when you're reading an article. I get students all the time who are like, "Oh, Yvette, you know, I can't picture myself publishing because I'm not a good writer. You know, everything I read is so this and that. Mm-hmm. I can't do that." And I'm like, "Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen all like the raw footage of how many drafts that person had to go through mm-hmm. to get it to look like that. How many people had to look at it and provide them feedback? Like, yes, you can. You can do it. Uh, and so it's just a reminder of like." This is, how, this is who we are, this is how we speak, and this is us being raw and being vulnerable, mm-hmm. because there is a lot of vulnerability in sound and in live performance. This is not necessarily live, mm-hmm. um, because we are rec- pre-recording it, but um, w- our style is in a way that we do try to record everything all at once, and there's minimal editing. So that's kind of some of what I want to say about um, why we think it's so important to to provide a podcast to provide this sound and this method of communicating with folks. And
0: um, this is Ceci. And I feel like um, with a podcast, or just a follow up on what uh, Yvette was saying, um, why why the podcast? What is it about sonic and digital media? So um, it also makes me think of you know as Yvette was talking about the question of um, accessibility. So you know as people in academia. Um, what happens is that you know um to get something published in a journal or to get something published in a peer reviewed book you know the process can take easily years until you see that final publication it takes revisions you know reviewers send you comments you send it back you, know, you go back and forth and you have to wait you know this, there's a long process for like academic publishing and it is slow and with a podcast you know we could record and just um well the editing does take time but um it's faster than waiting you know A year from submitting a manuscript, and then a year later getting that published, and not, and then a lot of academic books, uh, journals are behind paywalls. So if you're not affiliated with an institution, either as a student or a faculty member, then um, often you do have to pay to access that journal. I mean, there's ways. Usually, you know, because poor people always get around stuff like this. Like you could just email someone. That's right. Yeah, like. Yeah, we'll, we will email you our article like, you know, you could just people who do have institutional access, you know, go download the PDF and send it to friends or other people who don't have it. So there's ways around it. But again, this language that we're expected to write in in terms of like a quote unquote academic style can be very at times like dry or like hard to get through or hard to understand and read or it takes a long time to get through it. Um, you know, it can be inaccessible. So um so just listening to something you know is a different medium that offers you know a different kind of engagement. Um, so that's another thing that I think about and why we wanted to do a podcast. I think also we get to
4: choose who we, we invite you know which is something that you know uh, doesn't get recognized and a lot of, there's a lot of community members that don't get recognized or are not invited or even when we do our dedications, you know a lot of times they're portrayed uh, our community is portrayed you know badly. Um, and so we do the dedications when there's um, something going on. It gives us an opportunity to um, clear out what came out on the news that was all shady. You know, they made them, ta- you know, they st- were talking bad about them. So I think that's cool. And I think also for me, when the girl said, um, you know, podcast, I was like, you know, I, I get shy and embarrassed. Give me alcohol, I'm not. But like when, you know, this <laughs> is <a> like, <laughs> yeah, point. this is like a, no we're no just, yeah. <laughs> You want some? No. (laughs) But I think we're talking about on the drive over here, Ceci, like, you know, she doesn't, she's really shy. I'm shy, too. Once you get to know me, I'm not. But, you know, and I think in pictures and writing, we might seem, I I get a lot of times people are like, damn, you look so bitchy. Like, you're always (laughs) mad and stuff. But I'm not. I'm always, you know, like, I think laughing smiling. I don't know, maybe I'm not. maybe I am. I don't know. when I'm with my kids, I look crazy, probably. but you know, this is um, the opportunity to speak up and not be so scared or worried or even with writing, you know, we get to you get to hear the shit talking, how we talk, how we laugh, which is good. I love that.
3: I want to give a quick anecdote, Um, actually I listen to a lot of podcasts and I do it regularly and I just want to mention that actually the reason that I got into listening to podcasts was um, after I had my son because while breastfeeding I didn't really have a lot of time to read to hold books because I was holding my baby and trying to put him in the right position and I just didn't have access to my hands but listening to a podcast listening to the sound was just so much easier so much more convenient and so i know that's one of the reasons i to this day still listen to podcasts because i'm always doing a million things with my hands i'm folding clothes i'm getting ready i'm grabbing stuff but i'm listening to my podcast at the same time so that's i just it's a quick antidote just another reason why i i know i was interested in in um in getting started with the podcast and um the podcast uh, oh this is Sessie. um you know because i've
0: done the me and henaro have done the editing for um the relaunch episodes and um yeah so shout out to Hinato. and um so in the editing you know we have like some we start recording you know before the actual uh podcast or you know sometimes we have to like i know there was the episode with a standing rock that was like episode four where, um, Michelle and I were on standby waiting for our guests to call in. And, you know, Michelle was like, Oh, I gotta go check on my daughter, you know? And then I was like talking to down and, um, and when I went back and listened to it, it was just like so beautiful to hear, like, this is our everyday kind of like living, like just trying to work, you know, also mothering and, you know, getting our stuff done, trying to do it all. And it's a balancing act, but some, I always feel like something always falls through or, you know it's how to even have that balancing act or sometimes it fails, but you know, that's okay because we're not perfect super parents all the time either. So, um, so to listen to like, you know, sometimes I compare it to like a text, like, you know how some people, when they read like a text, they'll write in the corners like, wow, or underline, you know, the margin marginalia, (laughs) I think is what they call it. And, um, I feel like when we do the podcast, we have a similar thing, but it's through, it's sound, you know, it's, um, sonic. And we do have the similar kinds of things, but mostly it's about like planning and organizing, but also sometimes we have our kids with us. So it's also at the same time, like those mothering sounds, like, what does that sound like? But then what I've done is I've edited those out and I was just kind of like, oh, cause you know, if a listener tunes in, they're not necessarily looking for like, you know, are you in bed? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, are you t- in your Tonys? Yeah. In your tonies. <laughs> I don't see though. yeah, that's what he does. But, um, but, uh, so you know but that is a part of all of our work so i mean we do have you know i do have all the recordings like the unedited versions of everything but um Mm -hmm. so but to me it means it's very meaningful it
2: means a lot and then that reminds me like the unedited version there's on being there's another podcast that they upload both the unedited version and the edited version i love to hear the unedited version just because i get to hear like the testing your sound um it's really cool to just listen to the raw it's beautiful, so if anybody wants, I mean, wants to analyze our stuff, a Chicana out there who wants to do archival <laughs> stuff on us, I think that'd be a cool project, but just putting it out there. Because I think, go ahead, Tessie.
0: Oh, our, our Radio Sombra ones were live, so we do have some That's of that.
2: That's true. Yeah, those were live, and I think that was more, um, the live ones for me, and I don't know about y'all, were a little bit more like, <gasps> I have to be very like on point, yeah. um, especially when we're reading off our script where I stutter sometimes, where I get nervous or too excited, that I'm like, uh, uh, I kiss like my words. Plus I'm ESL, so I'm like, oh my god, like. But it's fine. Like I enjoy that part. I think the other part of it is um, when you ask the question about why sonic in digital media mm-hmm. um, and what does it allow us to do. I think, and I'm very extroverted. Like I, I love making friends. I get criticized for that. I don't care. Whatever haters. I didn't have friends growing up. Um, <laughs> so I, th- I think I was more of a I was shyer when I was younger because um because I was a daughter of an immigrant family, and I didn't really speak English well, and so I didn't make friends as easier um, and I think I always reverted to violence like <laughs> I would go pants the boys or push them. I'm like, "Can you just be my friend? Come on, like force them to be friends. That did not work so I think um growing up in that in that kind of way um I, I really I, I really worked on on um, being friends especially with women because I think I had a lot of issues with m- women growing up especially in college that once I was able to get through that and grow from that I'm I really enjoy like just I just enjoy being around people and talking to people and really getting to know them um and as my students probably know like I'm very invested in the people I want to grow with and grow can, and help them grow so I think part of this 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 podcast and why the sonic and digital digital, um, I think what you're asking, like, what does? Sorry, I'm trying to. I have it. I'm over here getting stuff. It allow you to do? I think Yeah,
5: doing,
2: I it. yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like tired and over caffeinated. Like, what does it do for you? <laughs> I'm I'm tired and over caffeinated. I think for me, um. I think it allows us, to, what I imagine is like it reaches so many different mm-hmm. people. When we first launched our, I think our first couple of episodes, we got word back from people all across the nation that were listening to us. When I went to a couple of conferences, they're like, oh, I've heard of your podcast. I listened mm-hmm. to it in Massachusetts. And I'm like, what? And I was really tripping out. And so then I think we were all really excited. Like, wow, this is really reaching beyond. And I think, see you know the locations of, where our podcast has been listening to? I know Mexico. Where we else? We had uh, England, England, Canada,
0: mm-hmm. um, the Netherlands. Wow, um, Germany. I think Germany uh, all over the United States, different kinds of states. Um,
2: yeah. So I think for us is it's for me it's especially is just reaching like larger audiences, mm-hmm. um, but also for again my own practice of listening to podcasts very similar to Yvette and the other women is. Um, Since I was really young, I would listen to This American Life, and I really enjoyed listening to stories. Not reading them, but listening to them. (laughs) Again, because I wasn't exposed to, like, you know, push to... I didn't really really like reading when I was younger. Um, Listening to the stories was really impactful. So since I was, like, 18, I would listen to that show. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think listening to our own stories, it makes me feel really excited. So, like, I've listened to our podcast probably, like, five times each um they're just really exciting to kind of hear my my friends say something new um but on my drives i drive a lot and so on my drives um to campus and and from campus home i pop in a podcast and i have like again that's how we started talking about podcasts is like what are you listening to oh i listen to this like oh i recommend this one so because of that um i wasn't even more inclined to make this happen and mm-hmm. and again just just i just want to remind myself in in terms of when we opened in gratitude is like, I'm so grateful for the community who really believed in this vision, making it happen for us. Otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here because without the community, uh, we wouldn't be able to have a podcast the way we did. I think we would we probably would have dropped the project because mm-hmm. um, we couldn't really do it with our schedules as mamas like, and students. We couldn't make it happen at Radio Sombra with you know, the limitations. I
4: think also uh, just we started doing, you know, Chicana mother work because of our own children. So um, the first podcast rec- podcast recording, I was so, this is Judy, by the way, sorry. Um, when my kids heard it, they're like, what? That's so cool, mom. Is that you? You know, you're famous. I'm like, yeah, you know, they're going to have a Hollywood star for me. <laughs> but she's my oldest. She's five. And she's like, what are you talking about? And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, and I talked to her about everything, you know. Um, and so uh You know, it's her listening. She's like, you're on the radio talking about all the things you teach me. You know, it's like, that's cool. It validates. It validates our experiences because she's like, well, other people want to listen to it. And so it makes it be known that our stories are, you know, our voices are important and they should be heard. And I think that's something that, that I love about podcasts.
0: And it's, I guess, the last thing, because we've spent a lot of time on this, but it's so interesting. It's such yeah. an interesting question um, that, as Judy mentioned a little earlier, it's the podcast is also a venue for interviews. So that's why we did the interviews with Mocha. We did the interview with the Revolution Mothering editors. We did the interview most recently with anna Castillo, and you know l- me and judy you know we're more introverted so
3: you know usually hey, 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 me too <laughs> oh no you're, no you're not yes i am i am so introverted my <laughs> voice isn't now, but you i am uh,
2: now, no no <yo> <laughs> uh-huh.
3: no
0: no <laughs> event
2: she's 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 live oh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no but we need to redefine what it means but but what's the definition of
4: furnished
0: but um but I think for me or someone who is more introverted so I think um I've been able to like reach out to get some these interviews and, you know, normally, because I am introverted, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to talk to anybody. Like,
3: <laughs> You know,
0: like, and, you know, sometimes I forget that that's I have a podcast. True. I'm like, I, I don't like talking to people.
3: <laughs> but yeah, when you talk, you talk. But,
0: but yeah, when I get comfortable, like, it takes a long time. But, um, but, like, that's how what happened with the other interviews, because we have no funding. You know, we don't, you know, usually in academia or usually when, you know, real life, when you ask people for their time, there's usually some kind of compensation. You know, it seems just the, like the right thing to do especially with like women of color mothers that we've interviewed and you know so that's one thing that we do have a limitation in terms of you know not having any funding so we have not been able to provide like honorariums or you know compensation for their time the interviewees that we've had but at the same time we've been able to kind of get around it through um because sometimes i see on social media like the revolutionary mothering editors announced they had like an la tour um so i was like oh they're gonna be here already so I'm just gonna message them and see if they're, you know, they would be interested and then they were. And the same thing with Ana Castillo, you know, I was so nervous, I was like, oh, she's coming to LA. I'm like, uh, I'm gonna send her a message on Facebook, you know, <laughs> I'm like, let's see what she says. And she responded like right away and I was like, oh my God, I'm Facebook messaging with Ana Castillo. So, you know, fangirl moment. Yeah. Um, but so for me as an introvert and I'm looking at Yvette right now, um, <laughs>
2: really Uh, (laughs) mad-dogging her
0: (laughs) as an introvert like you know normally like being like you know feeling kind of uncomfortable like having like social anxiety or just big spaces or big crowds um but you know then when i see incredible women who i admire women of color um who i would want to interview for the podcast like reaching out to them it's it's um a way for me to like you know okay i'll do it for i'll do it for the struggle I'll, i'll do it for the movement You know, so um, that's been really um, exciting to engage with the podcast in that way.
5: Uh, You know, uh, I have a couple of of thoughts before I go on to to my next question, but your voice, disculpa tu nombre, Ceci, your voice has something very interesting for me, like, no, no quiero como, I don't mean to like insult you, but it makes me sound out <laughs> like in a good way. Porque tienes como un tono, like a phrasing and uh, like the, the frequency and the speed and it like I sexy. No, <laughs> I wouldn't know. Like it makes me go into like a, it makes me go into places in my unconscious that I'm thinking about some like it makes me Go into like some deep reflections that, you know, I guess it is like zoning out, but in it just takes me somewhere else, you know, and then I come back and I'm like, wow, like, wait, what was she talking about? But I was in this really deep, important thought. And I think it, it doesn't happen with just anyone's no, uh, voice, but listening to you right now and then also in the in the podcast that it just takes me into my inner self. And um, like I said, it's not zoning out. It's something beyond son- Sony out that I think is really interesting that I'm gonna keep reflecting on. And I see everyone's like nodding their head, yeah, like I, yeah. I heard it
4: too, and I'm like, oh, you, like your tone, everything—it takes you in there deep. It, goes
5: Th- it deep. takes you into yourself, though, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was listening. No, no, no the crest. <laughs> <Este. laughs> um, and then to segue into the into the next question regarding the politics of of. Uh, about uh, doing a podcast, um, I just want to touch back on what. Disculpa um, tu nombre, te digo. Christina said about vulnerability, right? Um, you touched upon how being being on air puts you in a vulnerable state, right? And it's a different vulnerability when you're live than when you're mm-hmm. than when you're being recorded, right? Mm-hmm. And there there's some politics there with where does that feeling of vulnerability comes from, right? Because when you're putting yourself out there, right, um, there are consequences, right? It's not in a vacuum. We are, uh, when you're out there as a public person, disclosing things, disclosing the way that you really are, you know, you have to think about, okay, what are some unintended uh, benefits and unintended, maybe um, Daniels, right? Like possible, right? That you're kind of like thinking ahead, right? You don't want to filter yourself, but there are politics involved, right? And so I want you um, all to comment on that. And my question is: As scholars in in this transition stage, we're all kind of in the same, you know, fragmento de tres años, right? Where we're finishing, we're going into the job market. So, we're in graduate school, in the job market, and then in junior, in junior positions, right? Uh, going into wherever we want to go with our degree. Is there a concern that the things that you say in the podcast or the way that you, or what you disclose in the website or, n- or a blog or other social media, that might have any negative effect, any consequences for your career prospects, positive or negative?
2: This is Christine speaking again. I think um, it's really interesting and and it's a really rough terrain to kind of navigate because for me, um, I don't like faking the funk. I like being who I am and I'm hoping that if folks can gravitate towards my energy and who I am that they don't give a fuck that I'm Mm -hmm. crazy or that they can respect the fact that I am who I am. And I think that's at the personal level and I think that's how I walk this world. And I'm still trying to learn how to continue navigating it when it comes to academia, because then it gets interesting on mm-hmm. like politics of uh, respectability. I think Ceci might talk about that. Um, but for me, I, I would like in the future for the, for the different spaces that I, where I would like to teach, which is Cal State, the Cal State system, I want to be a reflection, again, The, repeat, the repeat, I'm repeating reflection of the students I'm serving mm-hmm. and being as honest and genuine as I am, but also using the skills, because I think my academic privileges are, are, are skills to help my students move in this academic trajectory, whichever trajectory they want, like whatever they want to do with their lives. But I think for me, and my hope is in the podcast, in the writing, um, and all of that, that whoever hires me and I hope, you know, I get hired at a a liberal school that can really honor who I am and what I represent will do that because of that, because of who I am and because who I can serve and because of my commitment to social justice and because of my commitment to my students, my commitment to my community. If I don't fit that, then I don't belong at that school. And I think it's something I'm still learning because I think in earlier years, if you were to ask me that, I think it would have been a, a different question, a different answer. And it was very, and it's very specific to the time of my son being born, and and beyond that, when I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that changed how I was, I've been, and I continue to look at academia. Is that I want to be a professor? I want to teach. I love mm-hmm. teaching. I knew this since third grade that I wanted to teach, mm-hmm. and so I didn't know how hard it would be to get to the point that I need to, um, that I need to get to. Like I had to get this PhD if I wanted to teach college students, and I work with with um, folks from K through twelve and I've also worked in, in, in community colleges and, and now at the university. Um, so I know my population and who they are, which is you know young people at the college level. So I'm hoping that based on what, what I represent is is good enough, because it's good enough for me, um, for whoever can hire me or will hire me. And if that means alternative track, um, like our colleague here, an amazing chingona mama, Yvette, running her badass blog that's okay with me mm-hmm. um, and I've come to terms with that but as long as I'm working with students and I'm doing what I love I'm cool with it so whoever can hire me can really see me for who I am with tattoos with piercings with whatever um, clothes I wear in terms of like and as, as markers of my identity that's amazing for me that's powerful for me so I don't really hold back but I also know that um, it's out there but again I want it to ref- I want I want whoever hires me to be to be to really honor who I am and what I represent
3: um, hi this is Yvette um, I want to talk about my experience um, having gone through the transition from graduate school and being on the academic job market for two years and now being in a relatively uh, junior position and in Um, as an assistant director. Uh, So I actually, um, I can relate to what Christine said about how there was a shift in my perspective after I had my son. So um, I had my son uh, about three years into graduate school. I was in the middle of qualifying exams. I was going ABD. And um, giving birth to him was transformative. It was empowering. a lot of things about my identity just completely shifted. I went from being a workaholic, working all day and all night, and my life, my identity was the academy, to then completely, like, my body just kind of gave up on me. I started to have health issues. I started to develop irritable bowel syndrome and uh, post-surgical endometriosis, having um, severe postpartum depression and uh, postpartum anxiety. and um, Just several several health issues that my body forced me to kind of hey like you need to you need to stop you need to take a break and so for me um, part of that was you know I was going on the job market and I was getting this kind of advice of like don't mention you're a mom don't Mm -hmm. don't mention your identity you know having to fake like your middle class Um, don't talk about being partnered Um, and and I, I I did I did do that and I was on the market again the next year and I in and that that following year I was just like this doesn't feel right this doesn't feel like me and you know the the following year I did get interviews so the second time on the job market as I was getting interviewed that was the moment that it hit me like I don't think this is for me like I want to be myself and my whole self and I really love helping people I really love service work and if they're telling me that that's a waste of time, that that's not gonna count towards tenure, then what's the point if that's what that's what I love to do? So I was like, what kind of job can I find where the values reflect my own? And that's why I, I decided I'm, I'm leaving the tenure track, which was a really hard decision for me to make. Um, but it was part of my politics, it was part of, um, part of me deciding like whatever job i get they have to accept myself and my whole self previously in my in my academic um uh my job market materials i i didn't mention my work with chicana mother work i didn't mention my work with the mothers of color in academia the ucla and then i decided i'm going to be myself my whole self i included everything everything that i had ever done i put it in my application i started applying for these you know administrative student affair positions working directly with students and what was amazing about this job at uc santa barbara was that during um, the interview and during the follow-ups. The, the director really wanted to hear, was really excited about Chicana mother work, was really excited about mothers of color in academia. And in fact, yesterday, I gave my boss a copy of the Chicana Latina studies because she was enthusiastic about reading it. And I talk to my students and I tell them about myself and my identity I'm of Chicana, Chicana mother scholar, first gen, I'm also low income, first in the family to go to college. And me being open and vulnerable and sharing with them, telling them about my health issues, mental health, physical health, And um, they've, in my being vulnerable with them, they've been able to be vulnerable with me. And I find that I connect with my students on a deeper level. And I'm really grateful that I've been able to find a position that supports me and uh, accepts me as I am. And I think it it took some time. And I do do, uh, credit a big portion of that to becoming a mother because uh, i was already i was already politicized in terms of uh, you know identifying as a chicana but then i became even more politicized once i became a chicana mama so um that's what i have to say about um my transition Um, this is judy um for
4: me i think it's a little bit of both christine and yvette um, for me, going into the job market, um, I took three years off. I was just working on my dissertation, so I wasn't working. Um, so I went with that idea, like, no, I'm gonna put it out there in my vita and you know my cover letter that I'm you know part of Chicana mother work, and you know I was all excited and proud, and I'm like, I'm gonna get a job that's gonna you know accept me, and they better you know. But here I am, still <laughs> no job. So now I'm actually like, I don't know, should I have done that? So I go back and forth in terms of like how much do you share or you know what are your intentions like you know you come to a point as low income you need a job and so that's part of my my struggle it's like maybe not right now maybe once i get a job then i'll let them know like actually no this is what i stand for this is what i work for (laughs) and i'm gonna do that because it's becomes it's become a reality check where it's they already know who they want to hire and so um, it's obviously not me and so when I come in with the, these descriptions of you know, my side work as a, you know, that I do Chicana mother work, instead of teaching experience, instead of TA, you know, that doesn't speak for itself. And so a lot of times, like, if you could just give me an interview, I'll tell you all the amazing work that I've done, but it's not recognized as research. Community work is not reco- recognized as research. So n- you know, nevertheless, mother work is recognized as research. And so it's become a battle for me of whether or not I should put it out there um just because i got to feed my kids and so it's something that i go back and forth but um yeah
0: that's i think that answers and uh, this is ceci just to follow up with um, what everyone has shared on this question um so when i think about like negative repercussions that we might have as junior scholars or junior people um so yvette and Judy just graduated with her PhDs. You know, Christine and I are PhD candidates, so we're ABD. And then Michelle, who's not here in the podcast right now, but she's an assistant professor. Um, and you know, in her previous position, she was denied tenure, so now she's at a new institution. Uh, again, starting the tenure tenure track route again at a new institution, and um, you know, and her new institution is very supportive, very helpful. She's really happy there. Um, so I would say for me, kind of being in a more vulnerable position, where you know, I um, I, uh, you know, not having my PhD yet and, um, trying to navigate academia, uh, kind of like what's been exhausting, um, is, are those politics or like the power dynamics or like, um, actually the, even this past year when I did, uh, well, I did two fellowship applications and it was, this was the year where I actually included my mother work and I did not get funded for those. And I'm just like. Well, I've been like funded in the past. I just wonder how much of that is like a gendered aspect where it's like, oh mother, if you research on motherhood, it's not as quote unquote taking as a serious research topic or, you know, in the eyes of academia. But I mean, but for us, it's much more meaningful than, you know, what academia s- says is, you know, heavy theoretical important kinds of work. So, um, um, so one thing that, um, I try to navigate, uh, as a, like a low income, first generation Chicana mom, um, it's, it's really hard to, um, to kind of navigate academia. I think we did have an example of one thing that we did, it's like we didn't, we had an issue w- with a conference that we went to where we asked for, um, first we asked if there was childcare and they said, no, there's no childcare, but then we kind of said, well, is there a room that we could access? You know, Can we book a room just so we could have our kids there? Um, and we also knew that, um, this conference was also offering, uh, free housing to, uh, you know, graduate students who volunteered like four hours of the time or something. So we did know that they did have a little more resources and, you know, so we asked like, you know, we just need a space. Like we're not asking, we didn't think we were asking for very much. And they came back with, you know, no, because it's a liability, you know, for the conference and for the hotel. So I think that was pretty hurtful because it was like other people of color, uh, women of color, you know, more senior scholars than us telling us this. And they said, Oh no, you know, in, in the email it's, they said, Oh, we, um, we understand, you know, we're, you, you know, we understand like how it's hard, but because of liability, um, you know, you, but at the end of the day, it's like they did not make any accommodations with us, or you know, we even offered like, oh, we can, um, we can, uh, we can, um, you know, we could help you like organize a little thing, like you know, so they wouldn't have to do more labor. Like we offered our labor and our time, like trying to open a conversation, but we were kind of like shut down. And then we did an interview where um, after some discussion, we decided not to name the organization that did this. Um, And I think part of it is that, um, you know, we understand that it's not just like single individuals. It's like a structure of academia that doesn't take into account like the labor of mothering and parenting, even from people in like more senior positions who are in a position of power. Um, who are able to, you know, kind of leverage that power in a way that might be more accommodating for us. Um, And um, so that was pretty hard. Um, But I think so, you know, we didn't disclose that organization, but um, I think the larger um, aim that we have as Jigunama, Mother work is to, you know, call these, you know, institutional and structural problems out And, you know, and reframing it as this institutional problem where, and as we say in our article, where gigana and women of color mothers are actually actively pushed out of academia. And this is one of the ways that this manifests. And, you know, it's not the the explanation they gave us. It's just like, oh, it's just a liability. And I'm like, is it, you know, let's you know, what are the power dynamics? Like, can you really just label our children as liabilities? You know, there's kids in hotels all the time. Like, you know, like we just asked for a room and couldn't even get that. So, um, so it's been really hard. And I think for me, this kind of, we we could also call it institutional violence. Um, It's something that uh, is really impacting me and kind of my decision to like, I'm really seriously considering like not pursuing career in academia um, you know more and more like I'm being you know coming closer to that final decision and um, and one and I think of uh, because I do still feel like oh if I say something about this particular scholar or this particular organization then words gonna get around and you know who knows we might be denied opportunities somehow or you know like oh watch out for that student because you know they're talking about us or whatever um so i think for me kind of like if i do exit academia if for me it would be a way to take my power back because then i won't feel obligated to like kind of cover up these stories or not talk about it or like not name it you know so um for me chicana mother was also about taking my power back and um and knowing that my anger is, like, justified, you know, my rage is justified, like, my mom always calls me, like, uh, like, stubborn, like, terka. and, you know, I'm a Taurus, so it makes sense, <laughs> but, um, but, so I do wrestle with that a lot, but I think the thing about Chicana mother work is that I'm not alone, because at, before Chicana mother work, I did feel very alone as a single mom, so I did know some women of color mothers at that time, like, when I was, like, uh, still in coursework and TAing, but um, the other people that I knew had partners or were married. So um, so being a single mom, it was just me. So I was just like uh, like trying to create that space. And I feel like and mother work w- d- also represented a shift where it's like, okay, I'm not alone. I have these other um, women. So I'm very grateful for all of you.
2: So that's kind of how I try to navigate it. And. Something to add to that is we we will we I think we're feeling that there's a shift in how folks are having conversations around um, hiring mothers of color. We got an email or a message from one of the professors. Um, so, uh, I'm not gonna say his name or where he's at, but I'm gonna say he's in Texas, who acknowledged that in like he was, he was, he, I I basically, the call to action has been on our behalf has been to like really be critical and open and vigilant and becoming a, like one of those senior scholars that's accomplice to what we're asking as, 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 as mother scholars, mother scholar activists, because I think we're a lot of that, um, that the discrimination that, that Mother Scholars are experiencing is definitely, you know, an issue that a lot of folks are sweeping under the rug. But that he, he, he's like, I'm really, thank you for, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just kinda um, paraphrase here, but basically like, thanks for bringing this to light. It's a really important work. You know, I've just hired two Chicana mothers in my department, and that too, like that to me is a win for all of us. Like, it's a huge win for all of us that that he acknowledging his own privilege and his positionality that that you know that he's he's like he's aware and I think when people are aware that that leads conversations to different you know uh, like areas that he can possibly become an accomplice to really influence others and he's a chair. So I'm like that was really important for us to read for me especially because I'm like okay there's hope and there are they're there there's allies, there are compasses there that are consciously aware of um, how much pain and how much you know um, marginalization we face when they don't allow us into these spaces. We worked our asses off to be where we're at. And I think any Chicana, Latina, Salvadoreña, anyone, any person of color um, should be given a chance to be that academic. So I just want to acknowledge that that, for me, was really impactful.
5: Um, uh i think it's very telling the word accomplice because um you know ally but you're like no not really an ally more like an accomplice right and i uh, and you said this earlier i wanted to go back to it because being an accomplice um uh tiene una of like criminality right uh, uh, this crime this thing that you're not supposed to be mm-hmm. doing Right, which is being a mother and being in academia and this profession, right? So I I think that's very 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 telling, verdad, que que uh it, that that language, right? That it's um it's an unwanted sort of thing, a criminal sort of thing, right? Like y yo eso es algo que que siempre digo cuando platico con otras personas. Okay, well if you have a child and when you're in high school, no, verdad, no lo peor well when you're in college tampoco when you're you know in graduate school menos and when I um, spoke to one of my my mentors and I was like you know tengo tengo esta edad I think that I'm finally hearing my little you know bell going off ¿cómo the tick right I finally mm-hmm. heard a tick the tick tock right I, I heard one so I think I'm um, I'm gonna plan this out so I can have my baby you know in estos años Y professor profesora me dijo, oh, no, 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 wait until you're tenured. <laughs> and I'm like, my body's not going to wait. Mm-hmm. And, you know, una mujer. And I was really surprised that I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm, um, at that time I was 31 years old. And I'm like, well, by the time I'm tenured, what, I'm going to be 40? Like, it's no, no, now's the time. Pero I was really surprised that it was like, oh, okay, until I'm tenured, I'm going to have, like, the permission, right, right? The, the blessing to go ahead and este, do what I want to do hacer to empezar my family, right? Okay, so just to wrap things up, and um, I'm going to ask my final question, and after that, let's ask le permission because I want to do a shout out. Este, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it'll be good. And so, what are the future plans for Chicana mother work? And um, is there a foreseeable end or a finish line to the podcast specifically?
0: So this is ceci um i feel like we don't well at least for me i don't I know how everyone else feels but um i don't see a finish you know where where at least now where an end might be because even when we when we still brainstorm like i still have so many ideas uh, yes. i know everyone's laughing what were
3: we talking about this morning um we're like let's do some more shirts and the podcast, <laughs> podcast shirts the pod- oh yeah uh-huh a, a calendar. a yeah. Motherwork calendar.
0: So we have some, oh, one of our other projects we want to do is like children's books, you know, with Maya Gonzalez, uh, you know, Chicana, uh, children's book author and artist. And she's like independent. So that's, well, that's one of our future projects. But for the podcast, um, Yeah, it's just, like, we have so many ideas. We have so many things to discuss, um, you know, and the way that it is, because there's five of us, so we all have different stories. So, like, one thing we want to do in probably, hopefully, the next episode is, like, just do interviews with each individual person because we feel like for our listeners who don't know us, like, so we have friends we know in, you know, our everyday life, but if a listener we don't know, like, tunes in, they might not, you know, necessarily know our backstories. So um, that's one thing that we want to do, like an interview for each of us yeah yeah like at testimonial um just getting to know you know share who we are and um another thing that um i'm, go- I'm going to the Allied media conference um next week and i'm going to co-present uh, a session with um a black you know activist mom who uh has a podcast called parenting for liberation and i interviewed with her on her podcast last year so um, now we're going to present together at the Allied Media Conference. And I've never been to the AMC, but I hear it's just that's the place to go for like, m- you know, media, digital media, culture, activism, you know, social justice. So, um, And I organized with the kids and caregivers track. So that's kind of how they organize their conference. There's like certain tracks or themes. So there's a kids and caregivers track and um, I was only, so shout out to uh, AMC and the co-organizers for that because they were able to like fund my trip or else, you know, as a single mom, I would not be able to go and I don't have funding this summer. (laughs) So, um, uh, so I'm really looking forward to AMC and, um, and you know, what will result, what will be the result of this collaboration with um, Parenting for Liberation. And, um, and, so I, I still want to see it expanding. I still, you know, maybe, uh, because we don't really necessarily like advertise the podcast because our production hasn't been consistent so far, but we do want to get back on track with the podcast. And, um, you know, once a month is going to be our goal since we've had like kind of uneven gaps. Um, since we don't really uh, necessarily like advertise like our social media, you know, we have just like a couple hundred followers, you know, on each of our social media. So it's not necessarily like such a huge audience, but hopefully as the podcast continues to grow, we do want more engagement. Like an idea that we had was like, we'll take questions from like listeners or, you know, if someone who listens wants to be a guest, you know, we're open to that too. So, um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything.
3: Um, yeah, the only other thing is um, I, n- I am a little bit self-conscious about the fact that we haven't been able to publish the podcasts as steadily or um, uh, on a set schedule, just be given all of our schedules. Like we're trying our best to, to publish on a monthly basis. So for the future, you can expect a podcast a month because that's as much as our time allows because we do have other projects we have the anthology we have the blog conferences um and et cetera and, and we and are being, moms so yeah, we have moms. full-time jobs yeah. or we're you know like we're in school or you know working at, you know in an office working from home etc so we've got you know uh, a lot um but future plans i think just yeah in more interviews um more guest speakers and just whatever feedback we can get from from our audience we we really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Can
5: I can I do my shadow? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> pues de nuevo muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. Estoy muy agradecida con ustedes. No sé qué cuánta en, 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 en well, my, I said in English too. I'm thankful. <laughs> I'm very grateful and thank you um and just to meet you all también, you know, yo también quiero ser a cómplice, accomplice. accomplice. Uh, when whatever res- resource I can be for you, I want I'm to be there. Este, and my shout out is esta, esta mujer, you said you have like 200 people listening. Those 200 people, everyone, please follow um, Marlene Quinto. She's a locutora and she's really unique. Muy rebelde, hocicona, mal hablada <laughs> um, I, w- I won't go into her whole story, but she ella está quebrando muchas reglas. Um, she was in commercial radio, and she has a podcast weekly. And then she is uh, so you can find her through social media as I Marlene Quinto, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then you can listen to her Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. through Radiosote.com. So it's internet radio. You can find Radio Soté through their website or through TuneIn Radio, and or you can download she has her own app. Mm-hmm. It's called Marlene Quinto. Like so, she's doing all kinds of things. So wow. please download her app. She uh, and um, and you can listen to her there. She has a live show Monday through Friday. Uh, and she's trying to get to 10,000 people to listen to her and download her app within the next six weeks. And her mortgage is on the line. So please, you know, ella está, she's, doing, she's doing her thing. Por favor, apóyenla mucho. Es bien entretenida, este, los va a sacar de onda, pero es muy, muy buena persona. So I want to promote her and give her a shout out. Um, y eso es todo de nuevo, muchas gracias.